This is the Constructionist Podcast, where we take ancient stories, the person of Jesus, current events and topics, and help you construct a new Christian worldview that's relevant and loving to those around you. I'm your host, Kevin Bates. I'm a semiotician and community builder looking at the signs of the times to build a better future together. You are tuned into the Constructionist Podcast, and tonight we are continuing our series through the book of Mark. Mark chapter 11, that's where we're going where we're to be at tonight. And we at the Constructionists encourage a worldview that is built on the principles of Christ. And in this episode, we will examine the life of Christ through a clear and honest lens. So by doing so, we hope to offer insights and perspectives that will help you in your own journey towards a greater understanding of love and compassion for yourself and others. We want to assure you that in tonight's episode, we are not fabricating anything as many have done. Any information or any ideas comes from our research. And if we're going to be, we're going to be making a guess, we're going to provide you with why we're guessing that. And if we're not making a guess, it's an honest and authentic perspective from our own examination of research. And we're going to tell you where to find that research. So this is our thinking space where we are presenting ideas and thoughts. And tonight we are making our best attempt to explain very practical theologies to live by. So if you enjoy the Constructionist podcast and want to support us financially, please follow the link in the chat or show notes on the social media platform you're listening to and visit our Give page. You can also support us through our Patreon page at The Constructionist. Go to patreon.com and go to The Constructionist site and you can give on a regular basis. Your support will enable us to continue producing high quality content like this. But more importantly, we want to hear from you and engage with you. We believe that through our interactions and discussion we, with listeners like you, we can continue to learn and grow together in what we call a communal hermeneutic. We value your feedback, your questions, and your ideas, and we're excited to build a community around a shared exploration of perspectives. So please don't hesitate to reach out to us and let us know what you think. Put a question in the, sh in the, in the chat box. We'll review that question and then we'll answer it in real time if we can, or later on through the week, we'll answer your questions. So thank you, Shereya and Jake, for joining us tonight on The Constructionist. We are continuing in Mark chapter 11. And so let's just get into it because we uh, are taking this a little slower than we had anticipated, but there's a <laughs> lot of material to cover. And so Mark chapter 11, that's where we're going to be at. And so if any of you who are listening have a app, you want to pull up Mark chapter 11 and starting in verse 20, I'm going to ask Jake, go ahead and get us started. Read that for us. <clears throat> Early in the morning, as Jesus and his disciples were walking along, they saw a fig tree withered from the root up. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look how the fig tree you cursed has dried up. Jesus responded to them, have faith in God. I assure you that whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown to the sea and doesn't waver, but believes that what is said will happen, it will happen. Therefore, I say to you, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you'll receive it, and it will be so for you. 
And whenever you stand to pray, if you have something against anyone, forgive, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your wrongdoings. So this is right after the triumphal entry. So let's go back to that a little bit. We've ridden in on a donkey, and now we're here at this place. Do we have a Mark a chapter 10 available? If we could just go back to that um, really quick. Or Mark chapter 11, verse 1, I guess it would be. Mm-hmm. So we find this cult, or that would be a better translation, this cult, 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 cult. The donkey. <laughs> um, the donkey. Yeah, thank you. Just a youngling. Uh, we, we'll call the youngling. Young, right. young horse. horse of some kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we discussed that. Um, so this harkens back to uh, Zechariah uh, chapter 9. That's and what it is, have, yeah. Yeah, so we have some some prophetic tie together. And the first thing that I want to talk about uh, tonight is it's obvious that Matthew and Luke have a copy of Mark on their desk. And so, so Mark is supposedly the first written gospel, correct? Am I correct on saying that accurately? As far as we know, as far as we know, there's there's one before it, but we don't have it. Right. The Q gospel, which is the, the German word for the primary or the original. So we know that, that all three of them had access, the writers of these gospels had access to that cue. Mark then is the original Matthew, Luke have a copy, but they also have a copy of Zechariah on the desk too. I mean, it'd be obvious that they had that copy. So what do you think first about prophecy being written in scripture that if we have this on our desk you know i do that a lot in sermons where i i have material and i tie it into real life example real life uh context what do you think about writing prophecy into into the bible like like mark did here because it's it's pretty obvious that it's zechariah nine um mm-hmm. let me go back to that scripture really quick uh zechariah 9 9 uh humble and riding on a donkey on a colt a foal of a donkey he will cut off the chariot from ephraim and the war horse from jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nation so he comes in a non-violent type way and so this non-violence mm-hmm. um is that what what verse uh, are you in nine nine i believe it's nine nine there you go yep yeah nice he is humble and riding on an ass on a colt the offspring of a donkey he will cut off the chariot right there so I do have just one other thought, but really quickly, uh, before we jump ahead, there is something that we missed last week was that prophecy just buried right there. What do you think about that Um, in truth telling, in the accuracy of the gospel? What is the writer of the book of Mark trying to do here by tying those together? 
So, if I do, I go for straight or you want to me? Okay. So if either way, if, if we proof text did like the writers of the New Testament did, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we would get in a lot of trouble. Like it would be. It, Can it we define fair. proof text in case proof, folks don't know? Proof text would be like trying to make a point where the point was right. not clear or consistent in the beginning. And so like a big one right now is we proof text women's roles because of one verse. Mm-hmm. And so all of all And of that women, happened all weekend for Father's Day. Yes. All weekend. Yep. Unbelievable. And so anyway, you have you have on. one you have one verse that dictates how we completely believe about women women's roles in the church couple verses but we miss out on the rest of the text context mm-hmm. culture and so we're trying to we're trying to be what's called anachronistic is taking today's principles and putting them on yesterday so in Paul's writing he does it a lot and so Paul takes mm-hmm. a lot of ancient scripture Isaiah Jeremiah and places it on this character of the Messiah and Jesus. Um, Zechariah does not necessarily need to be about this. It's more about just this Messiah figure that comes and restores the nation of Israel. I don't think it was dictated towards the whole world. And so the Messiah got Mm -hmm. much bigger than they could even imagine. And so it's called halakhic interpretation of scriptures, the walk. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's very common in the day of writing, especially Paul, this is called Second Temple Judaism, to right. take these, to take these, these proof texts that were memorized by them, and so like all the Old Testament would have been most of the Old Testament, especially for these writers, have been memorized, and so even the words sometimes don't match up because it's from memory, not from actual text. Shrey, do you have anything to to expand that with? Yeah, just so really I just yeah. flipped over to Matthew 21. Um, that right. one explicitly quotes um, Zechariah, which is which is Matthew's thing. Um, Matthew has way more right. Old Testament quotes than any of the other gospel writers. Um, mm. But like one of the things I kind of heard in your question think is what is what does that mean for prophecy like is it still prophecy if the author is the one deciding that this is the fulfillment of prophecy that's, that's what i'm asking it just is right is that, there for uh, me to is that ask. part of what you were asking like low hanging fruit and, that i just want to pick <laughs> right i and it's kind of a weird why not yeah it is it is the tradition of the text like Jake was talking about. I I feel like saying that feel, I know that there's a place for prophecy and I'm not saying that prophecy is not a real thing. What I'm saying is that these stories were embedded in Jewish people for, you know, literally for all time. Mm-hmm. And, and so this story of Zechariah, you know, is not a new story. And and for a for a gospel writer especially okay we got we got the letters to the churches and those are kind of instructional pastoral kind of like get your crap together church kind of letters 
But then we have the Gospels, which I, I'm not going to take one scripture and put it above the other, but it is a Gospel. And there's some central ideas to the Gospel that really do shape and form our Christian faith that the other letters don't. And, mm -hmm. and so, so when I look at this Matthew version, Mark version, uh, if I had a story that... Um, and where I have to land with this is inspiration. There's a, there's only one answer for me here because when I, if I was to take a story and bury it into a gospel like this, that this would be telling a truth for all time, I make that decision. And so therefore I have to have an authority of some kind to make that decision to bury it in that gospel. Um, Matthew's kind of weird to me though, Sharia. I mean, that's like, I mean, we actually, in that version, we have like the two, uh, we have a donkey and the cult. So that's kind of weird. I know that's a, a, a mm -hmm. Semitic um, signaling or a, or a, what do they call that? Where you're, you're, you're it's a call. Like parallelism. No, right, you're, call, you're calling call to... the same animal two things, but it kind of sounds like that Jesus is right. riding in on two beasts, you know, it's like a, a circus, circus act or poetic whatever. Device. <laughs> right, but it, it's said in a in a little bit different, and I don't know why really that was necessary. Um, I think we get hung up though on those little details when it comes to scripture that we're not looking at that prophetic, bigger picture of the actual author taking prophecy and putting it in there on purpose to bolster the story. Right. Is that less inspiring, more inspiring, less God's word, more God's word? Is this just another device? Oh, that's where I'm like. I, mean, I think it definitely speaks to what the gospel writers believed, which is, really all we have to go on. Yeah. You know, so I think, Matt I think wouldn't put it in there. Mark wouldn't put it in there if they didn't really think this was the case. Right. Right. The writers are trying to make the point that Jesus was the Messiah. Right. Yes. And so yeah, their, entire, all together, right. their entire purpose was to, I mean, this is, this is not necessarily used in the best terms, but, that's what I can think of right now, was to dog whistle the, right, the Jewish yeah. listeners so that they so that they would harken mm -hmm. back to the Messiah and they could figure it out. I, 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 we and we have to be careful to say that they that the writers believe that Jesus was God. John obviously does. Uh, I don't, sure. I right. don't know if Mark and Matthew and Luke knew what to do with Jesus yet. Mm. to believe Jesus is the Messiah, I think we get there. The Messiah is there. Uh, the divine hasn't yet been stepped over. And it's not until John's right. gospel that the divine is stepped over. Mm. And that was, right. And John's that was, gospel is the divine. Right. And that was a, a huge debate that completely split mm -hmm. the church and everything sure. that we on the Western end don't really know about was when did Jesus become God? Right. 
So Jesus doing this and acting this way around this 10 and 11 uh, scripture, but mostly 11, is this, is this a Rosa Parks? Is this a Nelson Mandela? Is it both? What's the, what's the parallel you're drawing? No. Well, both of them are, they're very, uh, I would say those two situations, they're standing up for a, for a, a cause or an idea or a right, mm -hmm. right? An intrinsic right. And, and they purposefully sit in a place that wasn't allowed or position themselves politically that wasn't accepted. So, so is Jesus the politician here or is Jesus the, the marginalized? Or is it both? Because both were marginalized. So the yeah, question I think, I think you're asking is both? that, um, yeah, definitely both. <laughs> but it's, I, I, I think that Jesus' main goal was socio-political economic change that would change mm -hmm. the entire world, right? And for a long time, the church was about that. I think we've definitely gotten away from that message a lot. Um, mm -hmm. and so any type, I mean, was Nelson Mandela a Messiah? Well, he was Christ imitator well, in a sense. A Messiah doesn't national, have to be. National re resurrection style. We, we put that word in, especially in our, in our English vocabulary as a very like set apart, um, mm -hmm. when right. really there could be lots of messianic figures. Right. And so was he messianic in some things and in some things he wasn't right. Right. And the whole point about Jesus was that he was messianic in all things. Mm. He was the, the anti-type or the type. I forget that all how that works, but he was the thing that all, that all messianic figures modeled after. Mm -hmm. The park story reminds me of a little bit of like the Mandela parks illustration. Cause I've heard this before that in this triumphal entry is standing in the face of, of opposition or standing mm -hmm. in the face of empire. Right. And you got the humble servant, the humble or the suffering servant at this point. And so we're going to ride in, right and do this thing for the cause of the nation the cause of the people right so there's a national idea uh but there's also a personal dignity and i'm wondering where we see the personal dignity here for jesus because he's got to be standing up for himself at some point Or does he never stand up for himself? I think Jesus does. Um, I mean, like... Sure. I'm muted. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're fine. I, I view this as like 
a counter protest to the other procession that's happening at the same time, which is when Pontius Pilate and the Roman army and everybody and all their flags and horses and armies and everything mm-hmm. are entering the city. Right. right? Um, right. And so that contrast absolutely is political. Um, but like you, you can't make that kind of statement without some self-respect. Right. Yeah. There has to be some kind of, in the subversive donkey ride, there has <laughs> to be some kind of, like, I have the courage to do this. I have the will yeah. to do this. I'm going to do this for me, too, because I'm a a person. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wanted just to open up with that, because um, leading into the fig tree is more of a national story. Um and so we're continuing the fig tree a little bit here in chapter 20. So Shreya, kind of explain the fig tree to us again, leading into uh, right. verse 20, and then we can continue. Yeah. So after Jesus enters Jerusalem, rides in on a young horse-like creature, mm-hmm. um, he's hungry. He sees a fig tree. It's got leaves on it. And so he goes up to it and he can't find a single fig to be able to eat it um, and curses the fig tree, even though it's not the season for figs. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a troubling story all on its own. But then it's right next to this story of um, entering the temple and throwing over the tables and interrupting the commerce and um, exploitative practices that were going on there. So probably the fig tree is more metaphor for what was going on in the temple than Jesus just being hangry. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Although there's a lot of commentary out there that just says there is that element of hangry. But again, if we're looking at more of literary device and what's the bigger point, Mm -hmm. there's really no, no point to focus on that, I think. Okay, so now uh, we enter into this verse 20. And again, early in the morning, as Jesus and his disciples were walking along, they saw the fig tree withered from the root up. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look at how the fig tree you cursed has dried up. Jesus responded to them, have faith in God. I assure you that whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and and thrown into the sea and doesn't waver, but believes that what is said will really happen, it will happen. Therefore, I say to you, whatever you pray and ask for, believe that you will receive it and it will be so for you. And whenever you stand up to pray, if you have something against anyone, forgive so that your Father in heaven may forgive you for your wrongdoings. Now... That, to me, sounds very, um, how can I say, has the potential, has the potential of being very misinterpreted and Mm -hmm. overused scripture. So uh, what do you all think of that? Well, what is a better interpretation before misinterpretation? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so 
if the fig tree was representative of exploitative practices earlier, or or maybe even empire, um, the way the empire system has invaded the temple practices. Um, so then the idea of have faith, um, whoever says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown into the sea and doesn't waver, maybe that's talking about overthrowing empire. Mm -hmm. And I find that a whole lot easier to stomach than getting whatever you want. Right. I think just cherry picking this out, it sounds very health and wealth, but if our anchor is the fig tree mm -hmm. in that metaphor, that definitely speaks empire to me. Yeah. So then we have to go back to the prayer aspect of it. Is Jesus saying that if we pray for things, things will come true. And actually, if we pray for them and believe them, things will come true. I mean, that's verbatim. So right. what do we do with that? I think it also has to do with our understanding of belief, too. Um, because within evangelical culture, we get really hung up on belief as mental assent. You know, look, if I just think about it hard enough, then it'll come true kind of thing. Um, whereas I think the biblical tradition of belief is much more about action. Action oriented. Okay. So what about, oh, oh okay. bye, Kevin. <laughs> so then you had the idea of the, the provocation of God. So mm -hmm. our prayers right. can provoke God to move is the idea. And that comes out of Exodus. Um, uh, Bergamon has a book on, hold on, I'm going to let Kevin back in here quickly. <laughs> <laughs> there he is. Uh, Provocation of God, Kevin. Say it one more time. Provocation of God. I lost my connection. I'm sorry. I'm back. That's okay. Jake's got a train of thought, I think. Okay. No, I'm ahead. just trying to figure out the echo. I think it's better now, though. Correct. Yep. I don't hear an echo. Yeah. Okay. Now it's good. Yeah. So, so Brugema has a book, I think, uh, ice axes for frozen seas, I think it's called. Uh, and it's about provoking, mm -hmm. provoking God to action. And so do we, are, are we in a, in a line of thought that believes that God is, is mutable, that God can change, or do we believe that God can't change? And so I don't know how you believe in that prayer works. If you believe in a unchangeable God, um, mm -hmm. like we talk about like difference of Calvinism, Arminianism a lot, Pelagianism. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm not sure why Calvinists pray. Right. <laughs> right. Still wondering too myself. I'm, I'm not sure why they, they, because yeah. prayer changes you, Jake. <laughs> Sure. Um, but we, we have, <laughs> the prayer does change you, right? I think the idea of yes. prayer, prayer is a mental ascent exercise. It is the connection of 
of yourself mm-hmm. to the outside. It's opening up for oneself. Uh, loving kindness, I think, is is there too. Mm-hmm. And so, depends on what you're praying for, I think, as well. And that prayer is not just a passive action of in in yourself; it's also external. I think we have this. We have this. Definitely have this idea of prayer being your own little prayer closet with your own little language. But that's not right. that's not the idea of prayer. Of especially the the Jewish idea of prayer would be together, communal chanting. Yeah, a prayer a prayer in agreement to the nation is different than a prayer in agreement to yourself and yeah, you yourself and I. Right. Totally. We have this. So it's very yeah. myopic view of what of what prayer can be. I mean, it, it can be that. It can be your little prayer closet, your little prayer language. But it could be so much better. Well, I think our Christianity has evolved to a very a communal aspect, to a very singular aspect over a long period of time. So we think that our prayer is for me only. So therefore, I call upon Mark eleven mm-hmm. twenty following and i say there's my prayer right versus like pray 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 in agreement with the church pray in agreement with my community versus uh pray in agreement with myself i i think what you're what you're what you're butting up against is the theology of open theism where god does change his mind god does not know the future that God knows all of the present, so everything in the present and can make decisions. This is the theology of open theism, make decisions within the present, but the future is just the future. So, uh, uh, so to, to God can work hone in something, that. Kevin. Yeah. Uh, you said that God doesn't know the future. I think the idea of that you're speaking to is that the, the, the future that will happen, that God knows mm. every, every future. Right, right. Yeah. So the so the idea of of God knowing everything that will happen in the future, then there's no reason for God to change. Yeah. Or if God does change, then that compromises the future. So we turn God in our theology, we turn God into um, the time machine God, where if God goes in the future and changes the future, that changes the present. And if God goes in the past and changes the past, that changes the future. And so God is like, you know, in a time machine, in a sense, which is just poor thinking. So, so why would, what would be the, the reason to know all future? Um, there's, to me, there's really no reason that God would know all future, but definitely God knowing all present. And so God can act in, in the present. So therefore, in an open theist theology, the reason for prayer is to call upon God in the present to act. Good. So, so this brings up a really important point to me. Um, what I've watched over the last handful of weeks, but really just, let's say the last week, I mentioned Rick Warren's apology Mm. last week. And 
Rick Warren's apology was, to me, very profound. It only took him, you know, 40, 50 years to get there for some reason. But, you know, sometimes we're trapped in our silos and we get really stuck. So he was, I would say, stuck um, for whatever reason. He did come out and apologize. Um, and it made no change. It actually probably inflamed the situation with the Southern Baptist Convention. And so therefore, they all voted, maybe double downs, got even more angry. I have no idea what the emotions were there in the room, but they, however they work and whatever those votes mean, and is it just 50 people? Is it 5,000 people? I have no idea how they vote um, and what kind of voting system they have. But they, in a sense, put themselves in this category. By voting, they put themselves in a category. Now, some of us believe that that category is just an archaic, galvanized, I would say some people have called it cultish um, category, that they, they removed themselves from... Uh, a society of equality and in a sense uh, double down on we are counter culture. So we are counter the culture um, and doing things differently and then double downing on well God's ways will happen no matter what and these are God's ways. And so they defined what God's ways are that women are not to be in leadership and therefore any churches that uh churches that are subscribing to women in leadership even subscribing to it or having an associate called a pastor or having a lead pastor being called a pastor even the churches that have been there maybe even that one church that was there for 20 30 years um with that practice they were removed rick warren was then you're not a part of the Southern Baptist uh, Convention. So, so they made a statement there. But more than that, more than the Southern Baptists, because they're just one, one group, um, I saw on Father's Day a lot. I, you know, of course, I, I cruised through and, and saw, like, just cherry-picked through some of the sermons that were out there online. And I just saw just so many pastors double downing on um, uh, women's roles uh, on Father's Day, you know, that calling the, that, the, that the men would lead their homes um, and that women had this certain place and that was not in a shared equality. Now, there were different versions of that. One was very... Um, crystal clear almost a call to like a domination which i was surprised by that um it got really weird and disheartening for me um there were others that were a little lighter you know on the subject where they just touched it here and there but what i saw was just so many churches just double down on a on an issue that I thought was making progress in the church. Oh, 
I'm so naive sometimes where I think something's making progress and it's like, oh, so we're, we're still here. Um, so when you have systems of oppression, marginalization, systems that um, are othering or a system that does not include or bring in people and they feel safe, I think is a, is a toxic system. Um, I believe that there are many, many churches that are moving the right direction when it comes to equality and, and equity practices. Yet there's so many churches that are not. So is this the kind of prayer that I need to be praying that, that the mountain would be moved? Is, the, is I mean, that I an think approach? If that, if that kind of domination is reflective of empire, which I think it is, yeah, I think that's exactly what we see in the text. Like that's a direct parallel. Jake, do you have any thoughts on that for me? Teach me something. <laughs> I mean, I think my, I said it earlier that that I, I do believe in provocation of God, but also okay. aligning yourself I think prayer is more of an alignment to self to, to God. And so, although I don't ascribe to much of what he says, Luther has the idea of the theology of the cross. Okay. And that if you want to find God, it's not in the, in the temples or the palaces or the cathedrals. It's in wherever there is the most hurt. Mm -hmm. And so those are the mountains to move. And so if we, if we pray and go search out the most hurt, I think that's when we'll see God change things. Mm -hmm. In another group that some of us are in, we were talking about this concept and there was a lot of isms said, um, in this group and, and there's kind of an ism or cliche uh, a saying out there that's no pain, no gain, no pain, no gain. And, and when we hear that, we think of the t-shirt, right? The muscle t-shirt that we're in the gym. It's kind of a, I don't know where it came from. I'll have to look it up where it came from. But it becomes a very believable statement. When you're in the gym, no pain, no gain. When you're running the marathon, no pain, no gain. So, so I understand, you know, the, the concept that's trying to be portrayed in this shirt or this slogan. But then you carry that forward. And, of course, then that is used and imposed on other things besides lifting weights or running a marathon right it was a so, uh, it's a 1982 jane fonda aerobic <laughs> exercise okay, <slogan>. okay. So <laughs> no pain no gain and, and feel the burn those are both hers burn. 
(laughs) Jane Fonda. Jane Fonda. Thank you, Jane Fonda. Okay, so now that we know where that actually came from, it's now even worse. (laughs) So, So we've taken that slogan and we've imposed it on other things. Like basically pick yourself up by your bootstraps, get a job, gut out your life, trauma you've experienced, things like that. No pain, no gain, right? So we impose it on cultural, emotional, psychological concepts too. I've heard it in almost as Jane Fonda's slogan has been is superimposed on so many different things. Now, and, and in maybe the 90s or two, early 2000s, we had the shirt that had Jesus or the cross. We had like the nails and the wood with the, you know, the sledges, blood, the, the, the crown of thorns, whatever it was on our t-shirts. And that said, no pain, no gain. So now we have this exercise slogan right? That's not only a cultural imposition, but now a theological imposition. So I I think that there's a lot of that going on. The reason why I bring that up is because I heard several times um, from certain people's sermons that a father or a man leading his home there is no greater calling. So, so hmm. n- not sure how Paul feels about that, since remain as I am if you can. If you burn with lust, go ahead and get married. So, so I don't know what his great calling was. If, if maybe, maybe according to that slogan. I mean, maybe it's Paul just was, super easy when you only. <laughs> one person to manage right but like paul you know like okay so here's the greater calling and paul only reached here like this was his only or jesus right we have jesus so jesus was single and so maybe the greatest calling is here and so jesus only you know like okay so maybe jesus was great paul he met this so i don't understand why we impose slogans that we've heard maybe in you know a couple of man church books or man theology books that we read that we pick up these slogans carry them forward in our culture our homes our family i thought reaching going to all nations making disciples loving your neighbor is the greatest commandment making disciples is the greatest mission commission so i'm not sure at what point men leading their homes was the greatest calling. So, so I'm, I'm confused about how cultural phenomena takes place, how no pain, no gain gets buried into our theology so easily. We're talking Jane Fonda, 1970, what? 82, 1982. 82. So, so 18 plus 23 is whatever. So in, you know, 30 plus years, 31, right? 40 years, 41, 41, 42 years, 
Oops. 41 years. Yeah, thank you for math. Um, <laughs> so in 41 years, we now have this slogan buried in our theology. And in a matter of, you know, however many decades, we have this idea of patriarchy uh, buried in our theology. Um, so, so I'm just wondering, like, are we just like the fig tree? Say more. Well, Jesus comes along and he curses the fig tree, right? And, uh -huh. and, and it's now withered and, and dying, producing nothing, not even any any possibility of of fruit so i i i sense that you know like this week when we're on this side of the sbc we're on this side of father's day we're on this side of all these sermons we're on this side of more inequality we're on this side of more domination oppression marginalization we're on this side of it now um that we're we're the second cursing we're at the second view of the fig tree. It's good. Yeah. Now I know there's I mean not the way I would view, connect that Go ahead. The way I would connect that back, like if the fig tree is representative of empire and hierarchical power structures then yes, I do think we see that. And if the fig tree is already cursed, there's no fruit and the whole thing is just dead. And I do think we see that too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that there's a lot of white male pastors out there that feel, think, perceive for some reason that they're losing power. And mm -hmm. when people lose power there's two reactions really there's embrace that new reality or react on that new reality and double down on on things um i guess that there's a third is just don't react <laughs> and pretend like it doesn't exist or something um but there's a lot of uh, and, and of course, the only sermons that I listened to were from white male pastors. So, so I think that the mountain that needs to be lifted up, turned upside down, moved, and the fig tree that is withered and dying, we're seeing a lot of that right now. It's, it's disheartening because I am a pastor. I, I see myself in this role. Um, that needs to change. It's great. Any? Yeah, any I think that's just part of it, though. Um, that when you feel like you're losing power, as um, marginalized groups are making more strides, the the reaction against it becomes harsher. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. I'd, I don't necessarily think that as disheartening as it is, I don't think it's a sign of lack of progress. I think it's just what progress looks like, that as we have this progress, people start to freak out and it looks worse. Right, right.
So well, we any closing any closing thoughts today. that we have? What'd you say? So we got through ten verses today. Perfect. Any closing thoughts for it us? was ten? Oh, I thought it was only five. No, I got ten. I think it's twenty wait, twenty through twenty twenty nine? I don't know. 25. Oh, oops. <laughs> Five verses today. Five verses. No, I don't. I, Five. I think that it's this one was very important because yeah. people misuse this text so much. So much. And yeah. It reeks a, of it. Yeah. To have a different understanding of the withering fig tree. Mm -hmm. It's important understanding to gather. Yeah, and to not just believe yeah. that in health and wealth that whatever you pray for you'll get right. is expect is, is more the... expect more out of life than 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 that, please. Right. Well, with that, thanks you two. Appreciate your thoughts. Good night, everybody. <laughs>